What is up, y'all? We are right back at it, talking with the Libertarian Party State Chair of Florida, Steve Nicola. We're going to be talking about the shutdowns, the war, the war on drugs, all of that. And yes, Cuba. Next on the Cajun Libertarian Live. Welcome back. Glad to have y'all here. Welcome to the Cajun Libertarian Live. I am your host, the Cajun Libertarian. I'm so excited to get into this interview with Steve, Steven, whatever you like to call him, the Libertarian Party Chair of Florida. Uh, we're going to dive into a lot and see what's going on in Florida. I'm very excited about that. Uh, real quick, we have a sponsor, High End Bags and Accessories. Fierce Luxury by Ashley. FierceLuxuryAshley.com. Get all of your Fierce Luxury at, you got it, FierceLuxuryByAshley.com. Thank you, Ashley, for doing so much. For those of you who don't know, she's on my team. Same as Carly Rose, my wife, and Brian Ramsey, and a lot of other people help and volunteer as well. So thank you to all of you. Please visit her website. It's a consignment shop, so you get a massive discount, and you're helping out a local small business that helps me out, that volunteers for free. So, thank you for joining us. If you're new here, I'm your host, the Cajun Libertarian. I hope you stick around. We always have exciting and amazing guests. And next up is Stephen Nicalia, my man. Without further ado, Without further ado, as we always say, let's bring him on. Hey, hey, what's going on, my brother? Steve, what's happening, bro? Not much, not much, man. Just another day in paradise. At least that's what they say. So down here yeah. from Key West and uh, happy to be on the show, man. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming on. I know we had a little bit of trouble last week because uh, yeah. I had that tropical storm. We didn't want to. I just didn't want to take that chance of you getting cut off in the middle of the interview, you know? <laughs> I know. I was looking at my radar, and I was like, man, you know, if we have the podcast at 930 by 11, we're going to have some some rain and some thunderstorms. <laughs> I wasn't sure if we are going to be able to, you know, if we're going to get cut off early. So we have, yeah. like, third-world internet down here in Key West, so everything is <laughs> real fickle. So we just got to be careful. But uh, but luckily, it wasn't a bad storm, and uh, just brought a lot of rain. And I was out in my yard with a sump pump trying to get rain out of my uh, – <laughs> from coming into the side of the house because – uh yeah it just brought like six or seven inches of rain the wind the wind i'm not too worried about it's just the water but but luckily everything was good so it was a small one we don't yeah, get worried yeah, until it's a cat three or four <laughs> right right even down there where you're at yeah i mean usually you know locals we we're, we're pretty lackadaisical unless it's a cat three because then then we're worried about storm surge and stuff like that but cat one two or a tropical storm man we just kind of do our thing while the, the tourists kind of freak out and get plane tickets out of here. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, you know, I'm in the deep South as well. We deal with hurricanes all the time, but mm -hmm. Key West seems a little bit more dangerous than what we're, because at least, you know, on the coast, there's right. a couple of miles of inland, you know, where you guys are just wide out there exposed. 
Yeah, we're pretty exposed, man. Actually, it was kind of crazy because back in Wilma in 2005, uh, what happened is, so we have the Great Barrier Reef on the east side. So when the storms come in, the reef actually breaks up so it doesn't get enough momentum to get to shore. But what happened during Wilma uh, is that the storm took all the water and pushed it up into the Gulf. So what happened it was, was kind of like a tsunami. So out of nowhere, it came back come, it came back in, um, and it just couldn't be able to wipe this out on the through the west side because there's no reef. So it was like four to six feet in some areas flooded. Uh, pretty much every car in the town had to be replaced. So it it, it was like a once in a hundred year storm in, in in that way that it that it landed. So they say you know we're not too worried about the Atlantic hurricanes. We're about the Gulf hurricanes and they come in from the side. So. Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's one of those things, the part of living in the South, as as I'm sure you know. It's just our yeah. – It's I'd rather deal with hurricanes and deal with uh, fires or tornadoes or anything like that, earthquakes too especially. <laughs> uh, hard agree, yeah, because yeah. we know, you know, we right. got warning. Right? right, you can get out of Dodge, man. You can, you know it's <laughs> coming. You know, all right, it's going to be here in 72 hours. I'm already gone. I packed my stuff. I'm in Disney World or whatever, and I'm not sticking <laughs> around for it. <laughs> Whereas like exactly. a, a earthquake, man, it just happens. Like I don't know, I I, w- I would be I'd be a little nervous with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, an earth earthquakes just come on you right out of nowhere. Very dangerous. Yeah, I don't want that at all. Yeah, we do have we do deal with a lot of hurricane or I'm sorry, well yeah, hurricanes, but tornadoes in our area. Yeah. But they're not the same as if it were in the Midwest, you know, where they have right. time to travel across open plain. So it's different. They just kind of touch down and then move off. Sometimes they'll be a little bit of a, you know, they'll build up. They'll build up, Mm -hmm. right? But most of the time, not so much. So, but, hey, look, you got phenomenal weather year-round. Yeah, so it's worth it, man. It's worth the weather. I'm actually from Jersey originally, and so, you know, in Jersey it gets real dark real early in the day, and – and uh, it's it's the weather up there is really cold, so I'm just happy to be in a place that's warm and sunny most of the year. It gets a little hot, but that that's fine by me. So, and uh, enjoy some good seafood like you guys do over in uh, in Cajun territory. Do you, yeah, I know you guys invented the uh, the redfish, black and redfish? Yeah, that's like yeah. one of my favorite things to eat. <laughs> that's awesome. So you get a sauce on it. Food. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sometimes I'll do like some island sauce, which is like a Thai chili sauce. Uh, which kind of adds like a nice kind of like uh, sweetness to it um, since it's blackened already um, or put on just like, uh, you know, a little bit of tartar sauce or whatever the chef's got going on. But right. uh, yeah, my mouth, wa- my mouth is watering right now. Just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make you hungry. Yeah. <laughs> and I just ate dinner too. So <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I have to go out again. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you do work out a lot. Right. So, I mean, you're going to eat. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, I got to eat a lot, man. I got to keep my calories up. I actually do. I mean, since COVID, you know, they say people either gain 20 pounds or lose 20 pounds during COVID. I got off keto. I was on a keto diet for years. I've been on and off keto since 2012. So my longest stint was probably like a two or three years on keto. And I ended it during COVID because I wanted to bulk up. So I started eating a lot of rice and beans and all kinds of food. And uh, I put on like 20 pounds in like a month. <laughs> I mean, it was it was fast. But uh, but I, I hate the gym. Uh, keeps me leveled enough so I can I can stay focused on all the different things I do. And between business and libertarian stuff, man, I got to got to hit the gym to to kind of get the energy out and stay focused that. I can't really explain it. It's just if you know, you know, but it, it, it puts you in the right mind space to be able to tackle all this kinds of stuff. So 
yeah eat big to get big be good eat big to get big yeah well you do have a lot to focus on being down there in florida um that i just talked with martha last night and hopefully martha bueno uh, hopefully she's going to be coming on again real soon and you know you and i are going to get into a little bit of uh cuba talk i hope Mm -hmm. and uh but before we get there let's talk about uh what you guys are doing in the state of florida how you're you're tackling the war on drugs and things of that nature sure yeah so so in florida we're focusing on uh you know a couple of different issues you know i want to mention to you of course is the war on drugs and and uh, legalization um you know that's been a big topic in, in florida lately i think i don't know if it's like this everywhere i think it might be everywhere but but the Tetra 8 right. THC has been a big thing, right? That's the Delta variant us libertarians like <laughs> to <Right>. talk about. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously Florida has, uh, it's a state where legalization has always been, I'm surprised we're not there yet, but we do have medical. I know Martha Bueno, she's she's really big on on that as well. Um, and she works in that industry. So she is she's very passionate about that. You know, war on drugs is one of our, our many issues that we focus on on the LPF, um, along with, you know, everything from environment. You know, we've got Lake Okeechobee where they drain the uh, the water out into the uh, east and west that. coast and it causes these algae booms. So if you look online, you can see um, just literally tons and tons of dead fish that are caused yeah. by these algae blooms, which happen due to the sugarcane companies being able to dump their wastewater into the uh uh, into the air, surrounding areas, which gets routed off into the ocean. So, you know, there's a lot of issues that I think it, it takes a libertarian to solve um, in Florida. So the war on drugs is definitely one. Um, we want to keep Florida a free state or a freer state. Um, you know, lockdowns were a big deal. A lot of people like to tout Ron DeSantis as a hero, but we do remember he did shut us down in the beginning. And so he wasn't until he changed his mind later on after he said lockdowns didn't work that he decided, you know, he was going to open up the state. It wasn't due to principles because uh, I think he was trying to please everybody and realized he couldn't do that. And realized that Florida is a tourist driven economy and that keeping us closed down would literally destroy the economy. Yeah. Um, and and it, what ended up happening, too, is I lived down in Monroe County in the Florida Keys. Right. And so basically down here, we were completely shut down uh, for about two months. We were, we were physically there was a roadblock. You could not come down to the Keys because our local government shut us down and. Ron didn't really do much about that. So it was already kind of too late. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of, you know, freedom issues in Florida that we have to focus on, just like in the rest of the country. Uh, some unique to our state. Um, we're lucky we have great ballot access down here, so we're able to run great candidates. You know, we've got mayors, uh, Mayor Jordan Marlowe up in uh, Newberry. We've got, uh, uh, you know, county council uh, people like Martha Bueno or city council for her. Uh, she's running for county council Miami-Dade. Uh, yeah. Jim Turney out in Altamont Springs That's running right. for re-election. He's a uh, incumbent. This would be his third term he's running for, um, and libertarians all across the state. So, so one thing we focus on is that we got all these issues that we're passionate about, from the war on drugs to the environment to the economy uh, to everything else that we're we're you know civil liberties, right rights, uh, LGBTQ, um, you know gun rights, etc. So we work with different lobbyist groups, different organizations to try to work together on these things. And uh, the most important thing we can do as a political party is to get libertarians elected to to office. So our strategy in Florida is, you know, the reality is that partisan office libertarians, 
don't usually win 99% of the time. It's very, it's a very high level of competition. And if, if a candidate's not prepared, um, the level of success is very low. So on a national level, we do have a handful of libertarian <clears throat> candidates that are big L libertarians. Uh, we got a state attorney in New York. We've got uh, a couple state reps in Wyoming, one state rep in Wyoming, one other one lost by like 15 votes shy. Uh, Jeffrey Hewitt out in California, uh, county councilman out there with a two million person district. So people yep. do win these races, right? But we found in Florida through Operation First Step that we put libertarians up for success when they run for nonpartisan local office. So these are offices, you know, at the local level, city council, county council, whatever it is, um, where libertarians have a, a higher chance of winning. And at a national level, libertarians win nonpartisan office 50 one percent of the time so that's more than half so nice so we're focusing on these local elections and that's our gonna be our bread and butter especially in 2022 when most of these elections come due and uh and that's kind of where we're at you know we it's a three-pronged approach right so the first prong is uh that's going to be your activism or your your messaging your communication so we get to go out we get to be vocal about certain things we get to put our name out you know Last year, we're in Telemundo. Uh, I think we're in MSNBC, CBS. You know, all these different nice. news agencies picked us up because we were pretty vocal about the lockdowns and things like that. So they picked us up. Uh, second prong is going to be, you know, legislative action. So that's going out to, to Tallahassee. We actually have some really great professional lobbyists on our legislative action committee right now. We're teaming up with Gun Owners of America to actually lobby with them. We're going to do a, a lobbyist day. So we want to bust our people up to Tallahassee and go and speak about gun rights and what we can do because the Republicans aren't doing nothing and the Democrats sure aren't making the situation any better. They're making it worse. So the Republicans do nothing. They promise everything, but they, 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 you know, as we like to say, uh, Republicans um, campaign like libertarians, but govern like Democrats. Right. Same thing goes in Florida. Right. And uh, so, so we're out there and we want to, we want to touch on different issues and get that going, influence legislation, create allies, and then the third approach, obviously, probably the most important for a political party um, is getting libertarians elected office. So that's our three prong approach. That's what we're, we're focusing on in Florida. And it seems to be nice. working. And we just, you know, my job is to help lead that and, and accelerate that so that we can get there as fast and effectively as, as possible and, and keep the ball rolling. Yeah, and y'all are doing a fantastic job over there in Florida, and we can't thank you enough. Like, y'all, you guys are rolling. I fully expect uh, Martha Bueno to win that seat, yeah. and probably what half or more of the seats y'all are going to run for. I just feel like Florida has a, uh, we have a good stronghold in Florida, and a lot of that's due to y'all's work and effort. Well, we got a great team in Florida. We've got really, really good, dedicated people that are, you know, very professional and um, very, uh, uh, what's the word uh, results oriented. So, so it helps yeah, and we work together, you know, we don't, we, 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 we make sure we stamp out any issues. If you know, conflicts between people are always going to happen. Right. Uh, the number one thing we can do as libertarians is unite each other, unite a party under one goal, one vision, and then move forward with that. Cause if you're busy, you don't have time to fight. So <laughs> I make sure my people have a lot of, you know, to be busy about. So we don't have time to fight. We just, we just go, go, go. So, um, but we got really good teams of people, some older that have been the party for many years, some new that are excited and bring some new energy in. So it's a really exciting time, man. And I'm, I'm just really excited and really proud to be, uh, able to serve the LPF and, and, uh, be chosen to, 
uh, help spearhead the cause, man. It's uh, it's really super exciting times. And Christina Baxter, yes, we do have the best executive committee in Florida. It, it's it's a really great team, I gotta say. I'm super stoked. As you should be. Do we have a libertarian candidate running for governor? Uh, we don't at the moment. Now, we still have a little bit of time before anybody has to announce. Um, right. So we're going to see what happens. But we do have some state representatives uh, running. And we do have some gubernatorial candidates running for Congress. Uh, Joe Hanouche running for U.S. House. Uh, Mike Dertot from Broward County is running yeah. as well. Yeah. And he's got a good campaign. He'd be great for the podcast, man. Really yeah. great, super smart, outspoken guy. He's a, I think he's retiring or he's, he's a retired cop, but a guy's like super libertarian. Yeah. So he's got a really interesting yeah. message strategy with his campaign. And, you know, yeah. heard him in clubhouse and the war on drugs, man. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a unique perspective. Right. And hey, uh, very, yeah. And, and his district super gerrymandered, um, and it's just an interesting, interesting opportunity he has, and he's very passionate about the messaging, right? Um, yep. so his message, his campaign's all about the messaging. And that's an important point too, is that not every campaign is designed to win. So we want to measure success by what is the purpose of the campaign? Um, because what's, you know, quite frankly, you know, if we ran governor, yes, maybe the goal is to win. Maybe the goal is to, uh, in other states to get ballot access, usually at three or four percent where that threshold is. Um, some campaigns, you know, that metric for success is a, uh, a a cultural influence or messaging influence that you can only get through running a campaign and being an ambassador to the party. Other campaigns obviously are designed to win, and, it, and that's the main goal is to win, and we do win elections. So, um, so there's a place for every kind of libertarian that wants to, you know, pursue the three prong approach, right? whether it's messaging, winning, and, and uh, political uh, influence, right? Um, or influencing politics through legislative action. So that's it, man. That's what we're yeah. all about. Uh, I love that three-prong approach, and I I love the way you uh, laid it out for everybody. I thought that was excellent and, uh, yeah, big deal. But as far as going, to, going back to the lockdowns, mm -hmm. um, I know that – for I was kind of screaming the whole time. You, everybody, lauded Ron DeSantis for having yeah. great. Uh, now I do think he, you know, overall with the demographics of Florida, did a, a good job with it. But I mean, he he was not very first at ending lock. Matter of fact, I think right. uh, Christy Nome never locked her state down. Was she? Uh, she's South Dakota governor, right? South Dakota, right? Yeah. No, yeah, you know, she's not great like, either. But I think there's like 17 states or something that never locked down. But the the weird thing is with the media, it's almost like because they never locked down, they never get blamed for anything. Yeah. So, so you got like New York, California, Texas, you know, Florida, all these states that locked down. You know, um, uh, uh, whatever. Yeah, Illinois, New Jersey. You know, all the whatever. And then you have like 12, 13 states, whatever it was, it didn't lock down. I don't think Alaska ever locked down. Uh, a lot of these rural states never bother to lock down because your neighbor is like, you know, two cornfields away or, or your, the cities are small. And, and right. quite frankly, I think they're more they're more freedom oriented communities because they're more rugged. They don't need the government to tell them what to do. Where Florida is a very purple state. So what DeSantis Fair. did is he pissed off like 50 percent of the, the state. <laughs> and, and at one point he pissed off like 100 percent because there was people that were anti-locked. He was kind of like trying to flirt in between. 
And we even sent him letters on behalf of the LPF. We sent him two letters basically condemning him for locking down, urging him to open up. And I don't know what influence we might have had in the situation, but he did eventually open up. Problem is, down in Monroe County, in my county, uh, I know of two counties that that lock down because they're geographically um, there's there's choke points to get in. One is Monroe County. There's one road in, one road out. US one. The second county I know of is Dare County, North Carolina. I know because I have businesses up there, and I had to travel under the business license to get into that county, even though we've got a house there. So Dare County is in the Outer Banks. Uh, it's basically at the Keys, but for North Carolina, it's just off the coast, like a little sliver of land. And both those counties shut down during the lockdowns. Monroe County shut down for two months, uh, which inevitably caused this because we're a tourist-driven economy. You know, we don't sell cigars. We don't sponge anymore. We sell tourism. That's how we make our money. So when tourism was completely shut out, a lot of businesses shut down. A lot of people were out of work. And the average cost of living, you know, down here is very high. The average one-bedroom apartment is $1,800 a month. The average two-bedroom, about twenty-five, Then it goes to about three grand for a three-bedroom. So you could imagine that people stopped working. You know, there was no stimulus checks back then, not that early on. So uh, there might have been a $1,200 check, but people were out of work. People were getting desperate. There was uh, increase of, you know, suicides, of heroin overdose, of narcane use, of alcoholism, of domestic abuse, you know, child abuse, you know, everything you can think of. I mean, there was lines wrapped down the street to get to uh, get food over at the... um, you know, some of the food dispensaries we have down here. So we were on, it was, it was a, a terrible time. And you know, what, what pisses me off the most is that quite frankly, our elected officials down here in the keys are either attorneys, uh, you know, construction worker, company owners, construction company owners, you know, businesses that there's always going to be work the next day. Right. So, so we had, not only do we have the lockdowns, we had curfews when we opened up. So we opened yeah. up. There was some tourists coming in. We're at 25 percent capacity. Dining rooms were closed. Everything was to go at first. And then they said, OK, well, you're going to close. Everybody's got to be home by like 1 a.m. Or, or I think back then it was like 10 o'clock, actually, or something crazy. So they're shutting things down at 10 o'clock on Deval Street, which is like our Bourbon Street in Key West. Um, right. Bars weren't even open. You can get liquor to go. You can get alcohol to go. But it was like so quiet, man. Everything was shut down. Um, our business was down downtown by like 90 percent. We ended up just shutting the doors down for two months regardless. Uh, finally came back. We're lucky in the sense that, so I'm a, my family were Wendy's franchisees. So we have the pickup window. The pickup window was our saving grace back then because people that were afraid to go inside and mingle with people could go through the pickup window, get their food and go. Uh, most businesses don't have that. So most people were upside down on their rent, upside down on their, uh, you know, on, on, on everything, on business, et cetera. So something pretty cool happened um, during during the lockdowns is we actually started protesting. And I remember talking to a group of business owners and they were cool because, you know, these were like Republican conservative business owners. But I'm like, man, you guys are libertarian. And later on, they found out they were libertarian and like the real libertarians show up in these kinds of events. Uh, (laughs) It was actually kind of cool because they were really, truly libertarian, man. And and um, and so I got together with this group of business owners, mixed group of folks. Right. And we went out, we started protesting and we, we got like a hundred people together. We were protesting in the city, city triangle. We call it down by Palm Avenue and Eaton uh, in South Roosevelt. And, and we were out there, man. And we, and, and it started to shake up some of the city officials and the county officials, because they were realizing that people can't keep these people locked down any longer. It's not politically popular anymore. And what was funny was 
when I was talking to one of the organizers, she was saying how, man, you know, it seems like nobody cares. Nobody, nobody has that passion, that fire. After that protest, people started coming out. And I realized something important. It's that when there's something going on, a lot of people, so everybody was scared because of COVID and shutting down was the quote unquote right thing to do. And you had to, you know, shut down your business and ruin your life in order to get saved by this virus. And otherwise you're going to kill grandma. Right. So it wasn't popular to speak out. But the fact is, a lot of people were thinking that this is, you know, this is crazy. This is bullshit. We're going to cut ourselves off for what? So once after that happened, then it became popular. And I noticed that all across the country is that the shutdowns happened. No one really said anything except the libertarians. And then afterwards, it became a big thing to be anti-lockdown, anti-this, anti-that. People became anti-mask, which... I don't care. I mean, I'm not anti-mask. I'm not pro-mask. I just think if it's somebody's business and they want you to wear a mask, you know, wear the stupid thing. If not, then, you know, whatever, go somewhere else. That's cool. But the government shouldn't be forcing me to do it against my will. Um, you know, if the business wants me to, that's cool. I don't care, man. It's same thing with vaccines. I'm not pro-vaccine. I'm anti-vaccine. You know, it's still, you know, I get it. There's risks. I'm, I mean, I'm general. There's, I think vaccines are good. Some of them are, some of them aren't because there's efficacies. It's not a black and white issue. Right. Uh, but but the, but the one black and white issue for me and for libertarians are or is that the government should not be involved in uh, forcing people to do something against their will. So anyway, exactly. afterwards, what happened is we basically went we uh, we spoke out against City Hall. We had protests, uh, speeches at one point. I think it I think the statistic was I think it was four hundred thousand um, Florida residents were, were behind on their utility bills. They didn't make the utility bills in the month of like June last year. So the situation was pretty damn bad and it's still not great. I mean, tourism's bounced back in the state hugely, immensely yeah. because we're open again. So that's been really great and positive. But, um, you know, there's still a lasting effect of these shutdowns, and everything else that happened because people lost their homes, man. There was suicides. There was what they call deaths of despair. And when you quantify the evidence of the effects of the lockdown, when you compare the lives saved potentially from or delayed uh, the saving of, of, of lives to people who literally lose everything or get abused or whatever, you know, there, there's a clear disparity in the logic behind helping people. But because the government has to do something, they decide to do the most draconian thing. And if the lockdown showed us everything, anything, it's that, you know, government is full of authoritarians and most people support Thanks. it. Well, maybe not most, but a lot do. And if people don't step up and say something, then they're going to get away with whatever they got to get with. Facts. I mean, we, we saw it all over the country. I know it's, it was not nearly as bad where you're at or where I'm at in comparison or in contrast, but yeah, it, it was very brutal in a lot of places where they just, absolutely ruined people's lives for you know, the, the, the in my personal yeah. opinion the response was far far more worse than the actual disease itself That's absolutely absolutely and uh i remember during the beginning of the pandemic i actually knew about this back in like february so i was at like home depot i remember i was uh I was watching what was going on in Wuhan. I was texting my family like, "Hey, this is going to be a big thing," and they're like, "Ah, I don't, you know, whatever, you know, this is going to be nothing. You know, I don't know what you're talking about." Everybody thought I was just lying, and so I go to Home Depot. I go and I buy uh, these N95 masks. And there's some Chinese family speaking Mandarin next to me. They're also buying the masks. I'm guessing because they they send it back to China because they they were running out of masks and 
maybe preparing who knows so i check out ladies like oh you know um yeah, somebody else was are you buying these for the pandemic. I was like, oh no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I just got some project at home. <laughs> so I was like stocked up, getting ready for this thing to pop off, um, because you know you, I didn't know what it was going to be. I mean, I didn't know if it was going to be the Spanish flu and wipe out five percent of the population on the globe, and you know you don't know. We didn't. It seemed really bad, and I think what happened is that because China is such an authoritarian state. And because they may or may not have been complicit in these uh, in this virus getting out potentially from the Wuhan lab, uh, there's some good chance that that could have been the case. That when they found out about this, they clamped down so hard trying to contain it. Um, and because they're an authoritarian state, they were literally welding people into their apartment buildings. They were trying to contain yep. this thing. I mean, people were dying. It was I think it was deadlier in, in Wuhan than when it got out, and then I think it started to get a little bit less deadly. But um. You know, the, the guy who discovered it, his name was Dr. Lee Wenilang, and he went to the Wuhan Central Hospital. And he actually blew the whistle to the fellow doctors about this crazy new virus that he discovered. So what ended up happening? He got arrested by Chinese police in the city of Wuhan. They made him sign an affidavit uh, saying that he was lying and he was released, uh, basically saying that he admitted to uh, like committing, I forget, like inciting uh, fraudulent whatever he he was like basically saying he was lying and so later on um you know it was found out okay this thing's real he ended up dying from contracting covid because he had such a high viral load from treating all these patients he ended up dying and what happened in china was actually kind of amazing they have chinese social media which is highly regulated by these sensors so nothing stays on there for more than a few minutes and what happened was is they had the largest public vigil ever in Chinese history for Dr. Wenyi Lang, where everybody from police departments to public officials to citizens were all condemning the CCP and, and praising Dr. Wenyi Lang uh, for, you know, for, for his discovery because because he got put down. If, the, if, the, if it weren't so authoritarian in China, maybe there would have been a maybe it wouldn't have been a virus in the first place. So maybe maybe there, you know, he would have had a chance to, to actually, you know, that we would have had more time to prepare for this thing. Um, yeah but I consider him the first casualty by government in the, uh, the COVID, uh, government response. Right. <clears throat> casualty. Is that the right word? I, I guess so. Or uh <laughs> victim. I don't know. <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is, is suspect at best. Um, I, I don't know what to believe or think. I just, you know, try to, it, if we really want to go back, you know, we can blame communism for this whole thing, because if That's it did easy. come from the wet market, they say that the reason why, uh, Chinese people have it in their diet where they're eating all these like bats and crazy things that most people don't eat is because during the Mao revolution, people were starving. So they just started eating everything. So people developed a taste for, you know, exotic, weird cuisine, like, you know, where they got like uh, bats and, you know, like anteaters and cats and dogs and all kinds of stuff, because that's what people were eating to survive, you know, and yeah. and yeah. allegedly they didn't have any of that stuff in the wet market. Allegedly was no bats. And what they were doing is studying coronaviruses at the Wuhan lab. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know the truth. I don't know what for sure what happened. I All I know is our government did some shitty stuff and in the United States. And that's something that's clear as day. And we know that for a fact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
no question. I, yeah, yeah, that's very obvious. And yeah, in a lot of cases, seems to be very intentional that they did that shitty crap. And I hope in they, the hypocrisy. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so bla. Well, and, and honestly, that that is what leads me to the idea that they did it on purpose. They were never going to abide by those rules in the first place. They did it out of authoritarianism to gain more sure. power. It, it, I think it shows the true colors of government. And, and you know, I think I, I have a theory, too, because here's something funny that I realized. A lot of Republicans, and you might have noticed this, too, a lot of older Republicans that might be somewhat libertarian leaning or at least anti-authoritarian. Um, they kind of woke up during this movement right? during during this time. You know, Trump was their savior and they had nothing to worry about. They were following the plan, QN on all that bullshit. But a lot of them woke up because finally they, there was something that affected them in a sense of masks, in a sense of uh, lockdowns, things you could see, things that people, you know, have to deal with and care about. We're libertarians, you know, forever. We've talked about Afghanistan. We've talked about, you know, uh, the NSA spying. We've talked about. Um, right. You know, the war on drugs. We've talked about things that people don't like to see, but we care about because we understand. And I think, it, you know, libertarians get a bad rap yeah. for being non-empathetic. But I think we're actually allegedly I, I've heard studies that we're very intellectual, and like empathy <laughs> and we're very logical. But I think that, that libertarians are a large portion of libertarians also come here through uh, pure empathy. Empathy Absolutely. and logic is really the, the spearheads of our movement because, Absolutely. you know, to care about a war that's been going on for two decades or to care about someone you don't even know that's been put into a, a, a cage for smoking a plant or somebody you might have known or, or yourself or a brother. Or, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of love to care about a man or a woman you'd have never met. Yep. yep. And I think that's uh, a very revolutionary sort of uh, ethos that that's attached to our movement. But I think conservatives finally woke up seeing that now it affected them. <laughs> so right. now government's their problem that they've helped to, to not care about or prop up over the last several generations. Well, yeah, I, I've used this quote a lot from Ben Franklin and it's uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but change won't come about until the unaffected are just as outraged as the affected. Yes, and sir. So that, that that's, that's where we got to get people on board. And again, I was someone who not, I was not that affected by it, right. but I was very outraged to watch our, uh, our American brothers and sisters go through what they had to go through and equally, or even worse right now, I'm not, I'm not even sure, but what's going on in Cuba is, is mm -hmm. absolutely brutal. And the, the stories are that are coming out right now, is getting worse by the minute. What can you tell us about that? Sure. And just to segue into there, um, I know a guy from Argentina. Back in 2001, there was an economic collapse in Argentina. And Argentina used to be a very wealthy, rich country, just like Venezuela. Uh, very rich countries that were first world countries that, you know, were safe. They, have, they were secure with, with good wealth and money flowing in. Uh, and then what changed? People got comfortable. They elected socialist politicians that destroyed the country because they promised yep. all kinds of things, ended up seizing all the wealth and leaving. Um, I think in, uh, in Argentina, the woman who literally destroyed the country ended up leaving the country. She had a warrant out for her arrest 
and I think they just voted for her again recently. Um, so, you know, there was a guy in Argentina that my friend was telling me about, a friend of his, who actually had three years worth of food because he knew Maduro was going to become president. Or not Maduro, excuse me. Um, whoever the president was back then in Argentina knew she was going to become president and ended up, uh, you know, hoarding all this food, getting ready, uh, thinking he was going to ride it out. And three years ended up not being enough. What happened in Cuba was something similar, right? There was the uh, what happened in Cuba actually goes a little bit deeper because what happened in Cuba started out with the United States uh, CIA coup, where essentially there was a foreign leader in Cuba who was pro US, that was installed by, you know, the uh, United States government. Uh, Fidel Castro went in with his army of guerrillas overthrew the the uh, the government there and started the Viva la Revolution, the uh, the Marxist uh, revolution in Cuba back, I think it was in the 50s, 53 or something like that, 54. I forget the exact date, but it was mid-century. Um, and ever since then, everything went to hell. And they try to blame capitalism. They try to blame the embargo. And the embargo does have an impact. But keep in mind, the Cubans do trade with the Chinese. The Chinese, they, they ignore the embargo. They, they give them, you know, they trade openly with the Chinese. Um, I'm sure they openly trade with other countries as well. The problem in Cuba, and I've been to Cuba. I was in Cuba when the restrictions were relaxed during President Obama uh, Obama's term, um, right before he ended uh, Cuban uh, the ability to travel to Cuba for some reason. So I, w- I went to Cuba with my family back in like 2015, I think it was. Uh, and essentially, it, it was an interesting experience. So we had a tour guide there. Actually, first off, we went there for architectural purposes. That was the, the, the reason we went there, right? Because they said, when you talk to the Americans, you tell them you're for architectural purposes. When you, when you talk to the Cuban government, you tell them, you know, you're just on vacation. That's why we were there. We're on vacation. Hmm. So we, got, we, we linked up with this guy who was actually an architect. He lo- worked his whole life in Cuba, was born, raised in Cuba, and now he works for this tour company. That's how he makes his money because he's retired. And you don't make any money in Cuba just being retired or even being an architect. What he told me was, in Cuba, it doesn't matter what you do for work. You can be an architect, you can be a sandwich maker, you can be a barista, doesn't matter. You all get paid the same. He goes, maybe if they pay me more, I would have worked harder. Uh, he says that in Cuba, you know, it, talking to others and, and him as well, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, how is the, you know, what do you think of the socialism? He go, They go, you know, it's not the good type of socialism. It's the bad kind. You know, there's no money here nothing in our hotel we stayed at because you stay at nice hotels or government-run hotels so you usually have these private european hotels that are that are allowed in certain parts of the island otherwise usually everything is run by this by the state and so um we left a couple things behind a pair of jeans and some some soaps and stuff for for our lady uh that was cleaning the room and she she said thank you she didn't walk she ran up to the room to go and Mm. grab that stuff because the people there are so poor there's no you know they take care of themselves they're beautiful they're friendly they're kind but they have no opportunity no money there's nothing driving the economy in cuba the state takes everything um and they provide everything the reason why coffee and cigars are so popular in cuba isn't because they just it's a luxury it's because it suppresses hunger um the i remember you know the unemployment rate in cuba by the way is zero and the reason for that is because it's somebody's job to hold a, a roll of toilet paper for tourists when they use the bathroom because toilet paper is rationed. They can give you the toilet paper. 
Uh, it's somebody's job to take water from a bucket on the ground and pour it into a bucket with holes on a pole so tourists can take a shower. You know, there's there's zero percent unemployment in Cuba, but people are, you know, very poor. You're actually part of the one percent in Cuba if you own a taxi because the taxi <laughs> drivers can kind of charge what they want. You know, we uh, we rode in a taxi and the guy's like, yeah, you know, it's 80, like 100 bucks, whatever it was, $86, $100. So we gave him the guy the money. We got to the hotel. We found out, oh, really, it was like $16 that we were supposed to pay the guy. So they're the one percent in Cuba. And what's actually amazing about these taxis is that they pass them down generations. So I was in this Cadillac, gorgeous, like Cadillac Eldorado from like the 50s or 60s. It was like Miami Vice, beautiful pink leather seats. Everything is gorgeous. And so it was his great grandfather's Cadillac. And he he had it so he could provide for his family using this vehicle. So they keep it running with engines, Yamaha engines. You know, they make the parts for them to keep these things running, which is yeah. incredible. I remember we're in the, the, the taxi going back to the hotel and there was this line wrapped around the corner. And I asked, I say, what's this line for? He goes, so back in the day, Fidel Castro traveled to the United States and he really liked ice cream. So he went to Baskin Robbins and, you know, Baskin Robbins has like their 28 or 32 flavors of ice cream, or whatever. So he goes, well, I'm going to start my own ice cream company and have more flavors of ice cream than the capitalist Americans. So he said, most of the time, they only have two flavors, chocolate and vanilla. And most of the time, they only have milk. So those people were waiting in line for maybe vanilla, maybe chocolate, but probably just to get milk because they're, you know, they were trying to get some food. They were hungry. So, you know, the situation in Cuba, you know, when, when people talk about, oh, they got free health care, they da 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 <laughs> you believe me, you don't want to get sick and have to go to a Cuban hospital. They do not have the resources there to take care of people. Um, no. They actually have a program in Cuba. They have 26 slots and you can go to Cuba and they'll teach you how to become a doctor for free. The only thing you have to do is live in Cuba four years after your degree to, you know, work with the Cuban people and, and be a doctor. They are never able to fill the class every year. That's what the architect told me. And not only that, but when they go to other countries, a lot of these times these doctors will defect and they'll, they'll leave whenever they do like doctors without borders, stuff like that. Yeah. So believe me, you know, anybody who says that Cuba is some socialist wonderland has obviously not been to Cuba. And I highly suggest they do because there is nothing um, <laughs> that Bernie Sanders or any Marxist socialist can tell me about Cuba being, you know, oh, they got free health care. All right. Well, if, if, if all he wants free health care, man. And I mean, technically, in the United States, you know, quite honestly, if you are sick, the doctor is going to take you. You might be paying yep. it off for the rest of your life. But you could just not pay. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't pay, but I'm also saying that, you know, in the United States, you, you will get the care you need um, and you'll get it yep. right away. Whereas even in places like Canada and the United Kingdom, you got to wait six months for for a surgery. You got to wait, you know, nine months for this. So people just go to private private doctors because, you know, if they can, because the quality is better and the treatment's faster. Now, there's reasons why in the United States that things are so damn expensive. And that has to do with cronyism, has to do with the fact that. It's legislated that you have to go through four middlemen just to get your payment taken care of. It's legislated. You know, there's all legislation that protects the industries that take our money. And there's a reason why there's there's quite frankly a bit of a, a, a cartel on hospital care in the United States it's because of protectionism. Right. You got all these fast food chains, but you only have a certain amount of hospitals that are that are really big on all the big hospitals that lobby the government. So there's ways we can make our country better through free market capitalism and competition that are, you know, caused by cronyism and fascism or whatever you want to call it. 
Um, but communism's not the answer, man. What's happening in Cuba right now is that people are finally fed up and pissed and they're at their wits end. And I don't know yeah. if we're going to see a, a Caribbean spring, like what's going on in Haiti right now is, is pretty wild. I know a lot of Haitians in Key West, uh, but I know a lot of Cubans too. And what's going on in Cuba is they're finally fighting for their freedom. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a libertarian party of Jose Marte Cuba. Uh, Zach Foster, he's the, he, he keeps in contact with them. And I've actually emailed them a few times. Um, their president, he gets uh, about 15 minutes a week of internet through the Swedish embassy. So you can actually contact him, but a few of their members got arrested over the weekend um, because they're out there. They've been getting arrested, harassed for, for years now. And they even have right. an underground library, the Benjamin Franklin library where they, where they actually live in fear, but they don't care because they're, they're, you know, the, the, the chair of the, the Libertarian Party of Jose Marta Cuba says something really uh, fascinating to me. He said that I don't care if they arrest me because even if they put me in a cage, I'll still be free in my mind. And I think that's really powerful. And I wonder how many libertarians yeah. here in the United States, if we lived under that same pressure, we wouldn't be fighting each other because we'd be fighting for Thanks. survival. And I Thanks. think that we're, we're blessed and we're fortunate enough that we're privileged that, you know, at least we're not starving in the streets. Um, but we have to have gratitude for what we've got, because if we don't have gratitude for what we have and for what we've lost, then how are we going to fight for what we've lost, man? It's like, you know, we're so much at each other's throats over stupid shit that quite frankly, it, you know, we've lost the plot in some ways because we have to remind ourselves, man. I mean, sometimes I think about it 90 miles South of me, there's libertarians getting thrown. I mean, they literally abduct them take their shoes, throw them in random towns, have to find their way back as punishment. The secret police knock on their door, you know, middle of the night. You know, they live in constant fear, man. And I'm 90 miles north of them, and I have the privilege and the opportunity to be at service to libertarians in the state. And and I try to remember and also remind my people, too, that, you know, we're lucky we're not in similar circumstances, but we need to fight like we are because, you know, things could be very different here. And, you know, we got... You know, did we you, want to avoid. It's just crazy, man. Did Did you watch my po podcast last night? <laughs> I didn't. I actually didn't I watch it. Did. I didn't know Martha was, was on there. I was on Joshua was, Smith's podcast. So that was a rhetorical question. Oh shit! I knew, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I knew you weren't. But you are literally saying exact, almost exactly what I said to end my show last, my solo That's show awesome, last man. night. Yep, I oh, said yeah. uh, we need to remember to be grateful for where we are and what we have while yes. at the same time, not ever losing. And more importantly than not losing, putting our foot on the gas of spreading mm -hmm. the message of Liberty. You literally just said that that's awesome, freaking. Man. Yeah. That's a mic drop. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. I want to go ahead and uh, I mean, that, that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, you just said that we didn't talk about any of that before. No, no, we didn't. We did not have this conversation before at no. all. We, uh, we didn't talk about goat yoga either. <laughs> Don't no, throw yeah, it up there too, because that's what <laughs> happens here. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I was actually that's going. Awesome, to, man. I was actually going to lpf.org and saw mm. goat yoga and couldn't resist. But I just, dude, that's freaking incredible that you just said that. That's I, amazing. I believe, you know, I, I I get pretty inspired by people in the third world, man. It's um same. You know, my my fiance, she is from Bosnia and Herzegovina, so. She grew up during the Civil War there, wow. and I've done some reading on, you know, that whole scenario. And, you know, she grew up, she was a 90s kid then, so obviously things weren't weren't good over there. Um, and and my dad, he's from Cairo, Egypt. So, 
So I, I hear these stories, and my dad's been in a war too when he was young, the uh, the Six Day War uh, between Israel and, and Egypt, and um, you know grew up in Egypt is a very wealth gap country. You see the worst poverty you've ever seen. You see some of the the the, the most extravagant wealth you've ever seen. It's it's a very strange uh, right. concept. Um, you know, we have Libertarian Party in Venezuela, Libertarian Party of Russia, Libertarian Party of Mexico, Libertarian Party of Cuba. And it's so inspiring to me, man. It helps man. kind of reset, recalibrate my mindset when I see, you know, people, what they have to deal with and what they've gone through and comparing that to my own situation and realizing how good I've got it. And and it really helps me, you know, practice gratitude and, and grounds me, especially because, you know, as libertarians, we like to fight or we tend to fight a lot, especially online and, and stuff like that. And I, I think that, um, you know, when we can practice gratitude and understand that we've got it really good and we really shouldn't be wasting our time fighting and, and focus on the goal, I, you yeah. know, we, we have to remember just how important the work we do is because, quite frankly, no one else is doing yes. what we're doing. And people have put their trust in us as leaders and representatives of this movement to make a difference. And every time we fight, every time we're at each other's throats, you know, we do a disservice to those people. We're supposed to be literally saving lives. We're supposed to be stopping yeah. wars. We're supposed to be, you know, legalizing life-saving medicine. We're supposed to be getting people out of the criminal justice system. We're supposed to be improving the quality of life for millions of people. So, you know, if we remember that that sacred mission and have gratitude, man, you know, that's got to be like a practice that libertarians practice a little bit more often. Um, because what's going on in Cuba right now, man, it's a real a real revolution and their lives are on the line literally. So, you know, we got to treat our revolution in the same way that, you know, our lives might not be on the line yet, but, you know, we fight for uh, a righteous cause that is, that is greater than ourselves. So something to think about, man, something to, yeah. something to think about. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, that's a lot more than to think about. That's information that we need to chew on and think yeah. about every day. That's something that needs to be a reminder in our daily lives of what it is that people are going through in other countries versus what we're battling here and given the opportunity to battle, you know, by mm -hmm. like you being the chair of the Libertarian Party of Florida and be able to have all these connections around the, the country and probably the globe, really. And our ability to spread this message that shouldn't be taken lightly. We need to put our foot on the gas, but also yep. be grateful in it. And so I, I'm going to put it up again real quick. LPF.org. Uh, people can find everything there, right, for the Libertarian Party of Florida? Any yes. events, if, donations, all that? If you are listening right now, you're a Libertarian in Florida, or you're thinking about becoming a Libertarian, Perfect. check out lpf.org become a lpf member officially you have to sign up sign the non-aggression pledge and consider donating our recommended donation is 25 dollars a month uh where our goal this year is to get to 2500 a month in recurring donations so uh right now nice. we're about halfway through that goal so if you haven't already become a recurring donor 25 bucks a month is a small price to pay for uh the work we're trying to get done and do we couldn't do it without you we're getting candidates elected. We're training candidates. We're we're lobbying in Tallahassee. Um, we are pushing for uh, one of my personal projects that I look forward to is actually media outreach. 
and getting into the media so I can go out and talk more often, not just myself, but also the awesome libertarians in our state that are that are passionate about the issues, well-spoken, because the more we can get out in the public sphere, the better. Um, More live events, more different things, trainings throughout the state, et cetera. And uh, so if you're interested in seeing that happen, check us out, donate and also volunteer because we could use your labor. We may be capitalists, but we love free labor. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we always appreciate, you know, hard workers that are that are good team players that, uh, you know, um, want to help us work towards a mission. And, and every committee has got their own mission and their own goals. So if you've got a special skill set, come check us out and uh, become a part of the solution. And, uh, you know spend some time becoming part of something greater than yourself, man. It's, uh, it's rewarding Very and it's fun and, and, and it makes a difference. So check us out if you want to be part of no the cause question. and we're here fighting for you. Big facts. Come do something bigger than ourselves. No question. And this is how people can follow you on Facebook, correct? Yep. There's uh Stephen Akela, my personal page. If you shoot me a message, tell me how you found me. I'll, I'll, I'll add you. Uh, I get a lot of friend requests, so I, 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 right. I don't know. So I try to like filter it down a little bit, but if you mention Cajun libertarian, I'll add you otherwise check out my official uh, professional page, Steven Nicola libertarian, uh, which is out there in the ether and you can there follow you. me there. Um, and I'm not really on Twitter, but you know, the FBI probably follows me already. So <laughs> right. Uh, check me out <laughs> discourse corner on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you can follow the party on Twitter too, uh, Florida Libertarians, and we're also Florida Li- Libertarian Party Florida on Instagram, and we also have our, our Facebook too. So you can follow us on all the social media and follow me as well. And if you want to reach out to me, uh, stephen.nikaela at lp.org, or you can touch me at chair at lpf.org, and I'll be happy to get back to you and answer any questions you might have for me. Oh, and also get involved in your local affiliate, too. That's that's an important one. If you're local, you're not involved yet, find your local affiliate. If you don't have one, then let's help you create one. So reach out so we can get you in contact with some other libertarians and start an affiliate in your area so you guys can start uh, making a difference locally. Thank you for saying that, because I have ran into some trouble here lately <laughs> with people reaching out to me talking about I cannot get a hold of anybody in my state office, state chair. None of that. They're trying to start county affiliates. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) If I don't get back to it in 24 hours, I will personally send you a Wendy's gift card so you can buy yourself a Baconator. How about that? That's that's, that's my commitment to you. (laughs) That's fantastic. I don't mind being the middleman. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to, I don't want to sound like that. Right. Yeah. yeah, Hey, look, I'll reach out to your state chair for, I don't have it. You're trying to start an affiliate. You're trying to spread that message. Hallelujah. I'm going to do that for you, but I shouldn't have to. Yeah. Right. Like if we're going to be who we say we are, then anybody should be contact their state chair and say, I want to be involved. That should be easy. In my opinion, these are just my opinions. I'm not holding anybody to any standards other than myself. I'm just telling you what's up with me. That's how I feel communication is key, man. We've got uh, 14 great region representatives that are out there trying to affiliate all of our 57 counties in Florida. We're about 22 or 23 counties, something like that, um, give or take a couple. So we're like a quarter to a third of the way there. So uh, all it takes is three people in your county to get affiliated, a treasurer slash secretary, chair and vice chair. Um, or if you got four, you can do a treasurer and a secretary. 
That's all it takes. And all you got to do is sign up. We help you out. We get you started. We support you through your mission. Um, we support you in your development and getting started. So we kind of you know hold your hand if you need the support. You got your region rep there to guide you as well. So you're not alone. And um, we'll get you up and running. So it might be an affiliate in your area. If there is not, we got your back too. Just let us know. Reach out. And uh, we'll, if you're interested to work with us, we're just in working with you. So believe me, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll make sure you get to work. Yeah, I just love it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, thank you. You're welcome, man. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Great interview, man. Great time. I love the way we uh, wrapped it all up. Thank you for saying those things. Uh, My pleasure. Man, man, that means a lot. For real. My because pleasure. I, I, this is what I'm looking for. This is the communication we're trying to get out here. Exactly what you're saying. This is the fire that we need. You are 90 miles from chaos right now. And at any moment, You've got something for us, and I'm in constant contact with Martha right now as well. Uh, please reach out to me immediately, and we'll figure out whatever we have to figure out, you know, to get you on 10 minutes if we have to. Definitely. On a, on a dumbass time with a stupid day. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Just let me know. Thank you for doing what you're doing, my friend, and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, my friend. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate you uh, giving me a platform to to talk about what's going on in Florida and uh, and for giving all the other awesome libertarians in the country a platform, too, and and connecting us to your audience. So appreciate you, man. Thank you. And yeah. uh, keep up the good work, brother. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. I will talk to you very soon. Thank you, buddy. All right. Bye. Yes, indeed. Big things out of Florida. As we already knew, Stephen, just... Uh, managing that uh empire that is a growing empire down there empire is probably the wrong word for libertarians right but you know what i mean uh, uh, managing that volunteerism wholesome volunteerism for those of you that know that joke but uh incredible florida's doing great things we, we've had martha bueno on several times actually i think we've had several people on from florida jerry park doing big Big things, big things in Florida. A lot of that's due to, to Stephen's ability to lead and, and hand off responsibility and having all the right pieces in place, like Martha Bueno, like James Ray. Thank you, James. A lot of volunteerism, a lot of activism coming out of that state. That's a big state to manage for the Libertarian Party. Big role for Stephen. Thank that guy a bunch for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Keep up the good fight. If you want to donate to the show, PayPal, Libertarian Cajun One, Cajun Libertarian One. I'm doing my own butchering ASMR, crucifying myself right now. Wholesome, voluntary. I hate that last word. No. Hard pass. No. Nope. Let's see. Don't forget. CajunLibertarian.com. I will have a graphic next week, by the way, to drop um, for a promo to, so that you can see the shirts that we're selling. We also have stickers and coming out with tumblers and all that kind of stuff. Anything to help support the libertarian movement, the liberty movement. Let me say it like that. I We're not party sold here. It's just the best platform for our for my ideology and all of my team and most of y'all as well. So thank you all very much for tuning in as always. Absolutely exceptional. I love what I'm hearing coming out of Florida. I love what I'm hearing coming out of our 
counties, parishes, boroughs, our country, all across the nation. And actually, I hear from people all across the world now, which is wild to me. But that's what's going on. And you heard him say it. Just now you heard him say Libertarian parties all over the world. Movement everywhere. Support Cuba. Hashtag SOS Cuba. I love y'all very much. I'll be right back tomorrow night with another interview. Steve Sheets, Pennsylvania. Just uh, handed off the, the torch from the state chair to run for Senate, run for Congress. Uh, Steve Sheets tomorrow night. Same Cajun time, same Cajun channel. I love y'all very much. I'm out. Thank you.